0: Amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, and I hope you do, find the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, chapter 6. We've been journeying our way through the book of Exodus together over the last several months. One of the things, uh, if you're new with us, and, and if you've been here more than two weeks in a row, you've kind of begun to figure out as we go verse by verse, section by section, through books of the Bible, letting God set the agenda for us as to what we would hear from him together as a church. And so today we come to Exodus chapter six. And before we dive in, there's nothing like hearing mission accomplished, right? Whether it's a homework assignment, a home improvement project you've been working on, whatever it is, there's nothing like getting that job well done, the A plus on the assignment, the praise of your house guests, the recognition at your work. And I think while it's often harder to quantify it, we can have that same experience in our work for the Lord. But unlike a home improvement project or a homework assignment, there is some differences in what mission accomplished looks like for the kingdom of God than in our vocations in the world. See, many think that success in the church is defined by the three B's. You ever heard of the three B's before? Expanding brand, bigger budgets, and butts in the seats. Those are the three B's that you'll hear about of what church success looks like, right? But let me tell you this. Success in the kingdom of God is a little different because successfulness in God's kingdom is primarily defined by faithfulness to God. You can have an expand an expanding band. You can have a ton of butts in a seat. You can have a massive budget, and yet be found unfaithful to the call of God. People often think that, well, they've got a big church; they must be doing something right. Friends, you can have a really big church, and that person be doing everything wrong in the eyes of God. And Exodus six and seven is all about. Two men that God chose to accomplish his mission and what caused them to be successful in accomplishing God's mission. In short, what we're going to look at this morning in Exodus 6 and 7, we're introduced to God's men for God's mission. That's the overall theme we're going to hear about today is God's men who've been chosen for God's mission. And I love the Bible so much. Over these next 30 verses, we're going to have a summary we're going to have a genealogy and a visit to Moses's results. And we're going to see a long-awaited showdown between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh. And I want us, as, we, as we're about to read this section, don't get lost in the names and the specifics. But let's focus in on what God is going to accomplish through these men. Men who are just like us. So let's look together. Exodus chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. And we're going to read all the way to chapter 7, verse 13 together. This is the word of God. So the Lord said to Moses, "'Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land.' But Moses said to the Lord, "'Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips.'" But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shual, the son of the Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generation, Gershon, Kohath, Marari, the, na- the years of the life of Levi being 137 years, the sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimi by their clans, the sons of Koh- Kohath, Amram, Issar, Hebron, Uzziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram, of Ar, 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 Amram, there it is, being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nefkeb and Zikri, the sons of Uziel, Michiel. There it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> Elzaphan and Zithri, the Aaron took as his wife, Elisha. Uh, man, I've got all these messed up. Let's back up. I'm sorry. These worked so much better when I was reading this this weekend. Here we go. <laughs> Elishaḇa, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon. She bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, the sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. Man, I was, again, I had all these, I had all these worked out when I was coming up here. But Abiasaph, these are the clans of the Korahites, Eliazar, Aaron's son took as his wife, one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's house of the Levites by their clans. Praise God. These, These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, See that I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh and it, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did as the Lord commanded. So Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they were the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts for each man cast down his staff and they became serpents but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs still pharaoh's heart was hardened and he would not listen to them as the lord has said this is the word of god it always amazes me it's simply stunning and i think we're often tempted to take it for granted that god chooses to use us. God has chosen to use humanity to accomplish his purposes. Remember, he made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden and said, work it and keep it. Out of all the great things he made, the elephants, the lions, the tigers, the sharks, he made humanity exclusively in his image to reflect his goodness and glory to the world. God has a unique purpose for mankind. Even after mankind's fall into sin, God didn't give up on us, but he made a plan to use us. He promised that through Adam and Eve, a savior would come who would crush the serpent's head and reverse the curse of sin. God chose Noah to build an ark to rescue his family. God chose Abraham out of all the people of the world to carry forward the promise and create a chosen nation. And now Moses has been chosen to rescue this chosen nation out of slavery. God has always chosen to use people for his purposes. We must remember that by choosing to use men, God was choosing to use imperfect people in his perfect plan to draw straight lines with crooked sticks. Adam and Eve blew it right? Eating of the forbidden tree in the garden. Noah, after he got off the boat, built a vineyard and got drunk and wild in that vineyard, right? Abraham was a liar and a polygamist. Moses was not, not only killed a man earlier in the book of Exodus, as we saw, but he lacked self-confidence and worried about his own abilities. See, God chooses men not because they're great, but to display his greatness. God chose men despite their inability in order to display His infinite ability. And this is where our passage starts. We're looking at God's men for God's mission. And that means we've got to start by looking at God's men. Who were the men that God chose to use to bring about? his plan and purpose and mission. And what might read like just a recap in a genealogy is really serving to advance the story that God is writing. The passage focuses in on Moses and his brother Aaron, and Moses is simply a masterful storyteller. He has just broken away. Right where our passage picks up was God promising to deliver his people. And then for some reason, we get this whole background on these two men. We get their Ancestry.com results kind of brought before us. And we're like, what is going on? But Moses here is reflecting back on his own life and seeing how God used him despite his own inability. In fact, the one of the things we see about the men God chose about Moses was the passage is sandwiched with the reality of Moses' anxiety. God chose to use a person who had incredible anxiety about their own abilities. Anybody here ever felt anxiety about their own abilities? Great. God could use you too. Look how the section begins and ends. Chapter 6, verse 10 to 12, we read this. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then at the end, chapter 6, verse 28 to 30. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? God says, uh, Moses says to God, I have uncircumcised lips. In other words, I'm not prepared for this. Circumcision was the act by which the Israel was to set themselves apart, to call them to be God's nation. It was an act of preparation on behalf of God's people. And Moses is saying, God, I am not prepared for this. I don't think I can do this. He has anxiety about his own ability to speak. It's the same objection he gave back in chapter 4 when God first called him. He says, I'm not very eloquent. I'm not very persuasive. Israel didn't listen to me. They turned against me. Pharaoh rejected me and it made the life of the nation worse. How will Pharaoh listen now? Moses was anxious about his own inability, yet God still accomplished his purpose through him. Look at verse 13. Even after his objection, but the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. In other words, Moses' inability wasn't going to stop God's plan. In fact, ironically enough for Moses, God's whole plan was that Pharaoh wouldn't listen. He would judge the Egyptians. Moses' own inability was irrelevant to what God was going to do. And hear me, friends, God may even use your inability and anxiety and lack of confidence for his own glory. We often hear, and it's true, God doesn't need us. And that's great news to know. God doesn't need me or any of us to accomplish what he's going to do. But did you know that that also means God isn't hindered by what you think may hinder you? What you may think is your weakness, God may say is your strength. In fact, God often uses our area of greatest weakness to display his strength. He says, Moses, he actually said, you're not very eloquent, but my purpose is that Pharaoh isn't even going to listen to you. I don't want somebody who's a straight talker that might ruin the whole thing. <laughs> I want someone who's just as, who has a terrible ability to speak just like you, Moses. And the Apostle Paul had a similar experience. He wrote over in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about a thorn in his flesh that kept him from doing what God would cause him to do and made him weak. And we never really find out exactly what the thorn was. There's lots of various theories. And I actually think that the fact that we don't know what it is makes it a lot more relevant to you. Because whatever you think may be afflicting you, God may accomplish his plan through that in you. Look what Paul says over in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Look at this. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Friends, God was going to prove sufficient for Moses in the midst of his anxiety. God is saying, I know you have uncircumcised lips, Moses. I know you can't speak, and I know that Pharaoh's not going to listen to you, but I am going to accomplish my purposes through you. Have you ever felt weak? Ever felt unable to do what God would call you to do? Fantastic. You have all the requirements God would have to work through you. (laughs) You ever want to know what the number one thing on the resume of, of, of God's kingdom is? Weakness and inability. Great. We're all qualified now to sign up because we're all unqualified for whatever God has called us to do. And Moses wasn't on his own. In fact, God had to give Moses a friend, a supporter. We turn from his anxiety to Moses' auxiliary. Moses' auxiliary. He needed a friend, a supporter, a helper, his brother... Aaron. Remember, back in chapter 4, God sent Aaron along on the mission to be a mouthpiece. Now look at chapter 7. how chapter 7 opens, verse 1 and 2. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. God establishes a chain of command. He says, "Moses, I'm going to speak to you. You, Moses, will speak to Aaron. Aaron, you're going to speak to Pharaoh. You shall be like God to him." See, see the, the level of authority that Moses is going to have. You may see you may seem small and weak, Moses, but I'm going to make you like God to Pharaoh. He's going to see me through you. And Pharaoh's not going to listen. He's going to reject them both. And God says, this isn't going to happen for your sake. It's going to happen for my sake. Because everything Moses was anxious about, God had already made provision for. And so he says, Moses, I know you can't speak and you're not confident in your ability. So I'm going to send Aaron to speak instead. And I know Pharaoh's not going to listen. And I'm going to harden his heart And that's all a part of the plan, Moses, to accomplish what I would say. He knew that Moses would never step forward in faith by himself. So he put another person, Aaron, around him to stir him up toward love and good deeds in order to be next to him, to carry him forward. Because again, Moses would have never done this without an Aaron by his side. And did you know that that's why God has given you the local church? Do you know that that's why a live stream simply will never do? Because you at home by yourself are a Moses, unable to do what God would call you to do. You need errands around you to help you along. And friends, we need to be errands to other around us to help them along. The author of Hebrews says something similar. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. See it. The church is meant to regularly meet together, to encourage one another, and stir one another up toward obedience, to help us to do together what we could never do apart to be Moses's and Aaron's to one another. So the, the, the application to us is not to neglect meeting with other believers, to hear God's word, to encourage one another toward obedience to God's word, all the more as we see the day approaching. And so we have these sections here. Moses has uncircumcised lips. And in the middle, we get this genealogy. And people, and, and you heard me, of course, again, God's qualifications are weakness. And so you saw some weakness in my reading ability there, right, to get through that. But what's so interesting is we learn a lot about the sort of people God chooses in this list. God's chosen men were anxious. He didn't think he could accomplish God's call for his life due to his gifting. But God was going to use his lack of gifting to display a sufficiency God's chosen people often need help, an auxiliary, a supporter, a brother to come alongside them. And finally, this genealogy shows us that God's chosen people often have sinful and broken family lines. Let's look at Moses' ancestry. Moses' ancestry. And friends, if you think your family's crazy, put on the seatbelt. Let's buckle up give a look at this. We're not going to look at every name on this list, but I do, want to, I do want to highlight a few. The point of the genealogy is highlighted in verse 26. We see this. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. So the whole point is to say, hey, this is supposed to tell us something about Moses and Aaron. Verse, 20, verse 14 to 16 goes back to the sons of Jacob. To the 12 tribes of Israel, and we read briefly about Reuben, who was the oldest, Simeon, the second oldest, and Levi, the third oldest. And it is through Levi that Moses and Aaron would come. And this is significant for two primary reasons. First, we read later that it's through the line of Aaron, it's through the line of Levi, that the priests of Israel would come. And so Aaron and Moses were of the priestly line. They were among the line of Levi that would serve as priests for the nation of Israel. But it also shows that God's chosen men, Moses and Aaron, come from imperfect families. Because if you remember back when we were in the book of Genesis, Levi was a big sinner. He's remembered by the events of Genesis 34. You can go look these up. Later, for a reminder, he's remembered by, in a fit of rage, Levi slaughtered a whole city of Shechemites on behalf of his sister. And he even receives a curse from his father in Genesis 49 because of it. Friends, Moses and Aaron didn't come from a squeaky clean family. We keep reading in verse 17 to 19. It tells us of the generation of Levi's children. And we read that Moses and Aaron came through the line of Korath, and Amram. And then we read these shocking words. Verse 20. Look at this. Amram took as his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him, Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. And all God's people said, Ew, right? That's just disgusting. The family tree's a mess. Amram married his aunt, and so his children would have been his cousins. Talk about dysfunctional, right? Moses' mother was his great aunt, and his father was his great uncle. Imagine the family reunions going on at this moment, right? And it also will tell you that it doesn't matter how you may have came into the world. God has a purpose and a plan for you. And the genealogy finishes out verse 21 to 27 with the emphasis on Aaron. They'll remember Moses and Aaron are brothers, so whatever it says about Aaron is true of Moses as well. And verse 23 actually offers a glimmer of hope in the midst of a dark family line. Look at this, verse 23. Aaron took as his wife Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. First We need to notice Aaron didn't follow in the footsteps of his sinful father. That just because your family has a cycle of sins doesn't mean you, by default, must follow in those cycle of sins. Aaron doesn't go around trying to date his aunt just because his daddy did it. And so you are not who your parents were. That's one lesson we can just draw from that. You are not defined by their sinful cycles and patterns. He doesn't go marrying within the family, but he marries into a very significant family, the family of Aminadab and Nashon. And why those names may not seem like a big deal to us, it is very significant. We're told later in the Old Testament that both of these people come from the line of Judah, which is the line of of the promise, where the promise would continue. So Aaron married into the promise line, and this becomes significant when we open up our New Testaments and go to the very first chapter of the first book of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, and we read the following words. Look at this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Let's keep going. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon. So what's the point? With all going on in this life of Aaron and Moses, with every bit of sin in their ancestors, they married into the family of promise through Aaron. They were in-laws to Jesus Christ. Think about that. Through all of this, they became in-laws through Aaron to Jesus Christ. Aaron and Moses had a broken, dysfunctional family, but God chose to use them anyway. And hopefully this can provide some words of comfort. Even Jesus had crazy in-laws. No matter how dysfunctional your family line may be, God can still use you. No matter, you are not ultimately defined by who you come from. And he was about to use Aaron and Moses, who were of the priestly but certainly not pristine line of Levi. And he was going to use them for his own glory. Think about it. These are the people God uses. (laughs) People who are anxious about their own inability people who need an auxiliary to carry them along, and people from a broken and sinful ancestry. And so the reminder to us is if God can use them, friends, God can use you. He's not counted you out because of what you might have counted yourself out for. And we're going to see now the incredible things God can do through unlikely men. The text turns from God's men now to God's mission. God's men chosen now for God's mission. And it's really amazing what they're being called to do and what God is going to do through them. First, he tells Moses and Aaron that they are going to preach God's word to Pharaoh. They're going to preach God's word to Pharaoh. And Moses is very precise about what he wants and expects. God is very precise about what he wants them to do. Look what he repeats throughout this section. Chapter 6, verse 10 to 11. Go in, tell Pharaoh and Egypt, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. Verse 29. The Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. Chapter 7, verse 2 You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. God didn't ask Moses and Aaron to come up with what to say, but to boldly proclaim what he already said. Because so many of us think that faithfulness looks like creativity, when faithfulness is often simply fidelity. to stay as close as we can to the original instructions God gave and to cling to them and to keep them. Because success for Moses and Aaron looked like faithfulness and obedience. And verse 6 of chapter 7 is so important. Look at this. Moses and Aaron did so, they did just as the Lord commanded them. That's what success looks like as a Christian. As a follower of Christ, it's to do just as God commanded us. Because we need an adjustment in our world of efficiency and productivity about what it means to be successful in our walk with God. We crave fruit and numbers and results. And I want to say that isn't always a bad thing to long for fruit, but the most successful measure of success is faithfulness, integrity, holiness, doing what God said to do regardless of what results may bring. Now, none of this is an excuse for laziness. I've seen some pastors go, well, I don't want to be like one of those people that longs to see fruit, so I'm just going to do nothing. No, 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 no. This certainly isn't a call to laziness, though, again, I have seen some people use it that way, but it brings about an unimaginable freedom. Because think about this. You can't save anyone. Take the weight off the shoulders. (laughs) You aren't a failure if you share your faith and no one responds. Let me tell you, some of y'all were following uh, on Facebook this week, my adventures of talking to two young Mormon gentlemen on the phone. Those folks, I I love reaching out to them, and they never call me back a second time. And I'm really (laughs) very hurt about this. And let me tell you, I never go into that phone call expecting an Apostle Paul experience on any of these young men. Now, God can do that. God can do what he wants. I don't expect that. Here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to talk to these young men who, frankly, are very much like myself. If I shaved this off and had a white shirt and a name tag and a bike, I could fit right in with these guys, right? I don't drink coffee. I mean, I fit right in with these young Mormon guys. My goal is never necessarily to have the the Shekinah glory shine down. That just typically doesn't happen. I'm simply trying to put a tiny rock in the shoe of their life. Because, y'all know this, when you get a, something that just bothers you a little bit, and you get that little rock in the shoe, what do you eventually got to do? You got to take the shoe off and examine what's there, right? So my goal is not, and, and, it's so, and certainly I shared the gospel with them. I got to tell them about the grace of God available in Jesus Christ. But friends, I, I, I don't think I was a failure simply because they didn't believe right there on the spot. I was faithful to put the rock in the shoe and let God work out how many other rocks are going to get there until they take that shoe off (laughs) and examine what may be there. Friends, you are not a failure if you share your faith and no one responds. You are successful if you are faithful because God is the one who does the work. You are successful if you walk in holiness even when it's hard. And it will be hard, Holiness is very hard work. You were successful in the kingdom of God as far as you were careful to do, just as the Lord commanded. At face value, Moses and Aaron were absolute failures. Moses didn't listen. It made their life harder. But you can't judge by short-term measurements what long-term work God may do. Are we willing to follow God or to preach the gospel in light of little to no fruit? Are we willing to change our perspective to see faithfulness as the primary measure of success regardless of what fruit comes? Because we cannot manufacture what only God can do. Because if we try to do that, again, it's very easy to fill a church with a bunch of people, get them all riled up and excited, and then a year later, they're gone, and many of them aren't even anywhere associated with a church anymore. But rather than trying to see and and long for for, and, and trying to manufacture all of this fruit, why not just start with a simple step? Talk to that person that comes to your mind right now, who you know you need to talk to, you know, you've wanted to talk to, you know, the Lord has put them on your heart to talk to them. And not with the goal of, you know, necessarily maybe leading them right there to the Lord, although that may happen. (laughs) But just to put a rock in the shoe of their life and to trust that one day that rock is going to build and annoy them enough to cause them to take a second look to preach God's word, to be faithful to do what God said. But that wasn't all that drove these men. They were driven by a shared aim, a common goal. They were to preach God's word for God's glory. For God's glory. Remember, verse 7 tells us Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. Whew. Guys Guys are ready to retire and... And I would just remind you, Moses was about to step into the most important thing he would do and what he thought was the twilight or the end of his life. And so if you think your best days are behind you, you're sorely mistaken. God may still have a lot more ready for you in whatever future he has for you. Ultimately, though, Pharaoh's not going to listen, but God's glory is going to be displayed. Verse 4. But Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, and the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Notice his goal. He says, my goal is that the Egyptians know that I am the Lord. I'll get the glory, the credit, the spotlight, and the attention. He he says, Moses and Aaron, this isn't even about you. (laughs) And you're all worried about your own abilities. Like, I hope they don't walk away thinking about you at all. I want them to walk away thinking about me. Thinking about my glory and my goodness. Because they couldn't accomplish anything on their own but it was all going to be by the power and greatness of God. And nowhere greater is this seen than in the epic showdown between Aaron and the Egyptian magicians. I just love this. Aaron throws down his staff. God performs a wonder through him. His staff becomes a snake. Again, if I saw that, I'm like, I'm on that guy's team. I'm on whatever team he's on. But then the Egyptian magicians sought to imitate the trick. We're told by secret arts, which I would take to probably not be a sleight of hand. I don't think these are magicians pulling rabbits out of hat. I really think these are folks with demonic power. We've got to remember that the forces of darkness can do miracles too, and that's why we need to be careful about being drawn away after the miraculous or the seemingly miraculous. But I love what happens here because it sends a clear message that God is greater than the Egyptians. Verse 12, for each man cast down his staff, they became serpents, but Moses' staff swallowed up their staffs. I love that. Their snakes got eaten, and they ain't getting them back. God's power overcame the Egyptians, and the world economic and political superpower of the day was seen to be small compared to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God's glory was displayed. And so often, we come to a passage of Scripture and we're reading, or we're coming to a sermon, and, and we want very specific life application. And, I don't, and that's not always a wrong thing. There's a good place for that. But sometimes the application of a text is simply to stop and worship. Sometimes the application of a sermon or your Bible reading is simply to stop and marvel, to marvel at the power and the greatness Because let me tell you something, you don't come to the Bible reading simply for you to get little tips and tricks on how to live a better life. You come to it to know the God who has spoken. To taste and see that the Lord is good. And so my encouragement to you would be this week as you're reading your Bible or whatever you're doing, just stop and go, God, this isn't about me for a moment. This is about me marveling at who you are. You make a man's staff turn into a snake and he eats these other people's snakes. Marvelous. Turn on a worship song, right? (laughs) Just marvel at his goodness and his power. They preach God's word for God's glory. That was the mission. But what about the results? Again, at least at first, they appear to be failures. Pharaoh still will not let them go. They needed to be obedient. This is the third point, trusting God's results. Preach God's word for God's glory, trusting God's results. In fact, notice what God promises will happen, and then it's fulfillment. Verse 3 says this, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Then verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord has said. We're going to look more in the coming weeks about what it means for God to harden Pharaoh's heart and for Pharaoh to harden his own heart. If you've ever had questions about that, come back in the next couple weeks, and we're going to talk about that as we look at the plagues, because this isn't the last time that, God, that, that Pharaoh's heart's going to be hardened, it's going to continue to happen. But God does a wonder, Pharaoh rejects. Moses and Aaron preach, and Pharaoh rejects. Would we say these men were unsuccessful? Because if you say that, then friends, God must have been unsuccessful, because he also sent a wonder and got the same result. Friends, they did exactly what God said to do, and God did exactly what he said he would do. And we need to hold on to this. This is a famous quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, the Spurge says this, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. The same gospel which melts some person in repentance hardens others in their sins. And friends, the latter is what happened to Pharaoh. There's going to be times you're going to do what God calls you to do, and someone's going to be hardened even more in their sin. It's going to happen. It happened to Moses and Aaron. And then there's going to be times where you do it, and you've put enough rocks in the shoe that the heart melts at the light of the glory and the greatness of God. Whatever God has called you to do in your job, your ministry, your parent Maybe it's your place right now as a student kind of trying to figure out life and navigate things. Trust God for the results. Because there's a reason the Bible uses the language of agriculture to describe how his kingdom grows. Anyone here who's ever been a farmer or knows a farmer understands that crops take a long time to yield results. And the kingdom of God is the same way. It often takes even longer Don't lose heart. Keep walking in faithfulness. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep preaching and doing all that God commanded you to do. And let God take care of the rest. God still used these men with all their anxieties, their need for help, their messy ancestors, and their broken family. Friends, the lesson to us is Moses and Aaron are far more like us than we think. The, the, the heroes, quote-unquote, of the Bible are a whole lot more like us than we often think they are. And the even better news is that God is the same God that walked with them, that walks with us. He draws straight lines with crooked sticks. He brings good out of evil. He hardens prideful hearts, but he saves the humble. And this is clearly seen in the gospel. Because, friends, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a sinless life on your behalf, to walk fully in what God called Him to do, setting His face like flint, perfectly focused and obedient to everything God called Him to do, even to a cross. And on the cross, He died, and there He took the punishment for our disobedience upon Himself. He died the death that we deserved, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, showing that the debt is paid, and that through faith in Jesus, not only is our debt paid, but his perfect life of obedience is given to us, because he has not only paid our fine for the debt that we owed, he's given and imputed his perfect life to us. Imagine if you and the richest man on earth swapped bank accounts. (laughs) And think about it. Jesus has the most righteous, positive bank account in the world, not a single sin. And he switches bank accounts with us through faith, and he pays all the fees and all the fines we owe, and he dies in our place, and he rose again, so that through faith in him, you can be forgiven. You can be brought into right relationship with God. His righteousness can be given to you. And regardless of where you come from or what you've done, you can be restored to God and sent out on his mission to the world. The gospel, God's word has been preached to you today. And how will you respond? Will you harden your hearts like Pharaoh did? Or will you soften like dough? Will it push you closer to the Lord or away from him? The invitation in these next few moments is don't be like Pharaoh who hardened his heart and pushed off business with God. Whatever you feel you need to do in these next moments, I'd encourage you to make those commitments. Maybe to share your faith or to talk to that person you know the Lord has brought for you to talk to. Maybe you have someone in your life you need to forgive and you know you need to forgive them because you know you can't do God's, you can't get God's results in your life if you're not doing it his way, and you know you need to forgive because that's what he would tell you to do, and you need to let it go and forgive. Maybe you need today to come and place your faith for the first time in Jesus Christ, trusting in his work and his righteousness alone. Whatever you need to do, I'll be down front if you need to pray. There'll be steps here that you can pray at, But the invitation is to seek God while he may be found. Let's stand and let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that in these next moments you would have your way among us. You would draw us closer to you. And Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that we would not be people who harden our hearts toward your word and flee away because of a love for sin or a love for the pleasures of this world that we would pursue after you in these moments, that we would make commitments we know we need to make, trusting that you promise to be with us and to bring about your results through us. Help us to be people who seek faithfulness to your kingdom and help us to be people who seek to do all that you've commanded knowing that you'll take care of the rest and to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. we go and proclaim to this world, despite results, despite what may come, we proclaim that it is well with our souls and that Jesus has made it so. Just a couple things before we read our benediction for the day. First, just a reminder, we've got not only our regular offering basket, but also the food basket ministry. Thank you for those of you who give to support the ministry and the work happening through this church. Making an impact, and we 're seeing all kinds of new folks come to our church and it 's been incredible to see second, if you 'd like to be one of those new folks who gets connected in with our church again at the back table there 's a red connect card, fill that out leave us leave that with us, and somebody will follow up with you and then third, just as a special prayer request we 've got a number of families out traveling, so Just make a note this week, if there's somebody you normally see that isn't here, pray for them and maybe reach out to them this week and uh, see how they're doing. I know with fall break, lots of folks are uh, in and out, but I encourage you uh, to do that. And And we're sent out today with a reading from God's word, a blessing as we head out into this world. This from 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory.